Matt Whitaker, former U.S. Acting Attorney General. This is such a great conversation about America, our future, what's going to save our republic. We have a great football player. Matt Whitaker is here. Matt. They tried to bury me. They didn't realize I was a C. Whitaker. Former Acting U.S. Attorney General. Under President Trump. I'm going to be an unwavering supporter of law enforcement. Welcome to Liberty and Justice with your host, Matt Whitaker. All right, welcome to Liberty and Justice. I'm your host, Matt Whitaker. This week, July 4th, celebration of Independence Day, and I have the one and only Secretary Robert Wilkie. How are you, my friend? I am I am fine, Matt. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. Um, I, I know, you know, you and I spend a lot of time together, especially at America First Policy Institute and the various events we have around that, but I uh, always, we always end up having very interesting conversations and the most recent uh, conversation kind of um, maybe want to have more. And so I yeah. reached out and you kindly agreed to be here on this show, uh, widely distributed as my listeners and viewers know, and just excited to have you. Uh, and we're going to kind of nerd out a little bit as a couple lawyers are known to do. And it's going to be a little bit on the the history of the Espionage Act, as most of our folks know, um, that's been the act that uh, the most recent charges against Donald Trump were based. And so, Robert, why don't you tell me a little bit about, um, and, and those of you that know Robert know he was at DOD, uh, was at the, the Secretary of the Veterans Administration, revolutionized and changed that organization dramatically for the better. And so, um, Robert, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, Woodrow Wilson and the era surrounding uh, World War One. Sure. Well, first of all, Matt, it's great to be with you. There's no uh, a more forceful defender of freedom than than you are, and it's a it's always an honor for me to be with you. Well, let's start with the man you talked about, Woodrow Wilson. Um, uh, probably the most baleful of all of our presidents, but the possible exception of Buchanan and Pierce and their inactivity before the Civil War. I mean, this is a man who resegregated the government when America was actually on a path to uh, greater racial harmony. Um, he, he began our long and, and dreary road down the path of authoritarian collectivism. Um, he lashed out at his opponents um, in ways that had not been done in America since the Alien and Sedition Acts in the last year and a half of John Adams' administration. Um, the one thing that he, he tried to stop was America's entry into World War I, uh, but eventually that set of circumstances overwhelmed him. But playing on his collectivist one-party dreams, he forced through the Congress uh, a pair of laws. Uh, they were symbiotic. Uh, they passed in 1917 and 1918, uh, two espionage acts, and then the addendum to those, uh, the Sedition Act. Again, something we hadn't seen since 1798 and 1799. And through these acts, the Espionage Act, anyone who criticized government policy be it the draft, be it the actual contest against the Germans, be it the, the running of government in general, was subject to fine, 
but most possibly, probably uh, imprisonment um, through his attorney general, uh, A. Mitchell Palmer. Uh, Wilson's people rounded up over 2,000 Americans, uh, everyone from the head of the international workers of the world, the radical wobblies, and big Bill Haywood, to Charles Lindbergh's father, who was a progressive Republican from Minnesota. They shut down the nation, hundreds of newspapers. But this thing even continued after the Germans had given up in 1918. Um, it went all the way through uh, to the beginnings of Warren Harding's administration. And I'll get to that in a second. But yeah. um, in 1919, the, the Wilson administration turned its focus uh, to pacifists, to anarchists, uh, to socialists, to radical progressive Republicans. Because the two parties were very different then. The Republican Party, until Warren Harding, was very much in the progressive liberal image of Theodore Roosevelt, um, but considered enemies by the Wilson administration. And through the Palmer raids, we probably saw the, the greatest evisceration of individual rights that we'd ever seen in this nation. Thousands were imprisoned, some to the tune of 20 years, including the one opponent, and Wilson was considering running for a third term. It, the tradition was two terms, but he was considering doing that, uh, even though he was in an enfeebled state because of that stroke. Um, one thing he feared was radicals being drawn from the Democratic Party uh, to the Socialist Party, and Eugene Debs, who was the perennial candidate of the Socialist Party and threw him in jail as well. So political opponents were thrown away. And this last thing I'll say, this was the advent of J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, J. Mm -hmm. Edgar Hoover was put in command of what was called the Bureau of Investigations by the Attorney General Palmer. And he was the one leading the roundup of Americans who uh, the Wilson administration found distasteful. It is one of the, the great tragedies in American history. And ironically, it was the man who's been lambasted for now over 100 years. It was Warren Harding, the goofy uh, newspaper editor from Marion, Ohio, who immediately put an end to this stuff, uh, started letting people out of jail. Um, he considered the espionage and sedition acts to be a great threat to individual liberty and it stopped it stopped under him yeah and so the weaponization of the law enforcement function of the federal government is not a new experience absolutely um, and so those of us that have uh, accused merrick garland and others of weaponizing the federal government there's a historical basis and especially uh, rooted in the Espionage Act, as you described. Yeah, and and you, you see parallels here, Matt, um, between Wilson, who was the spiritual heir of, a spiritual father for people like Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And even though Biden probably doesn't know who Woodrow Wilson is, um, Will, he has followed in Wilson's path, um, destroying political opponents, 
uh, aggrandizing the power, the investigatory and prosecutorial power of the federal government, um, turning the federal government into a weapon to advance a one-party state. Um, all of this goes back to, to Woodrow Wilson. And um, the sad thing is that, except the exception in our time, is that at least in Wilson's time, there were papers, journalists who were standing up to him, including the nation, uh, which he mm -hmm. shut down, uh, closed him in one of many newspapers that he, he put out of business. Uh, we don't have that now. We have a, a media that's in lockstep with the radical agenda of the left wing of the Democratic Party. And we see, we see what's happening. Mm -hmm. The um, there, there's so many directions to go. Uh, I think the you know if I'm if I'm just watching this conversation, the first thought I have, Robert, is uh, what do we do about it? And you know I get asked that a lot. Um, you know when I'm talking about these issues, what do we do about it? I mean, it's it's is it simply winning an election, or is it more fundamental reform than that? Yeah, let me let me give you a a long-winded answer for that, um, Matt, because it, it'll, it'll get to a point people are familiar with, but I'll start with um, where people are not thinking. Um, we are at a dangerous point in this country in terms of the citizenry, and citizenry, I mean the children starting at a young age, uh, understanding what the blessings of liberty happen to be. Mm -hmm. Um, an understanding of what makes this country unique, what makes our political system different from, from all others. And we no longer have that in the classroom so that by the time uh, these young people get to where they will be participating in the public square, they're not armed uh, when they're confronted with things like that. In fact, like this, in fact, they think it's, it's the norm. But we also need a, a, an opposition that is unrelenting. Uh, I felt that the Republican Party for many years, at least at the national level, has been very much afraid of confronting the prevailing liberal clerisy. And what do I mean by that? Uh, by, by shouting from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. And not being afraid when the New York Times or the Washington Post calls you names. Um, I remember there's a very famous story about Barry Goldwater. After his defeat in 64, he consented to one press conference. And uh, he walked to the stage and he said, fellas, until I read what you had to write about me, I never realized what an SOB I was. Thank you. <laughs> and he left. The point of that is you have people with great with spines who didn't flinch from confronting. Yeah. They weren't worried about being invited to the local PBS station's garden party. And I think we need more, more voices. Um, we also need to invigorate a world that you're very familiar with. And that's getting young lawyers out there um, challenging, um, not only at the federal, but at the local level, attempts mm -hmm. to uh, guide 
the people in directions that the average American need not want to go. And if we look back at the lessons of uh, 1919, 1920, the last two and a half years of the Wilson administration, it was radical lawyers like, like Clarence Darrow, probably the most gifted defense attorney in American history, who was going around saying that these people, uh, people that he had supported politically in two presidential elections, uh, were a threat to the Constitution. Um, and he even went after the Espionage Act, saying this thing is carried on after a war. It is a nuisance and a menace, in his words, and must be repealed if we're going to preserve the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Darrow was absolutely right. His only, his only supporter uh, in Washington, D.C. was Oliver Wendell Holmes, who wrote the dissents in the cases that had been brought by people like Debs and uh, other newspaper editors who'd been thrown into jail for questioning Wilson and his policies. And uh, you were telling me earlier about this quote from Darrow on. Uh, Let me put this in my ear. The, it yep. has fallen so out. <laughs> I like it. We got a professional setup here. With my Good. apologies. No, you're fine. Don't let people see behind the curtain. <laughs> That's right. And by the way, if you can, people can see, I have a, a whole shelf on Brother Wilson because. His impact, uh, as I mentioned, is with us today in the person of the president, the vice president, the speaker of the house. Um, yeah. They're all acolytes. And of those books on your shelf, is there any that you would recommend uh, as the as the seminal work uh, in that regard? Well, I, I start with history, uh, Matt. I think um, there are two works that really most Americans should um, should read. The first is, where do we come from? And that is the history of the English speaking peoples by Mr. Churchill, which takes our story from the very beginning in prehistoric Britain to the evolution of parliament and the common law to the liberties that this, this great Anglo-American tradition bequeathed to the world. And there's an addendum by someone you know, Andrew Roberts, called The History of the English-Speaking People Since 1900. And Democracy in America, I think, um, understanding what people- That's Tocqueville's who, Democracy Tocqueville, in America. Right? Democracy yeah. in America. What people who came to this country and they, they saw this revelation uh, of of people who believed in individual freedoms, people who believed in communities, people who um, did not worship at the feet of an all-powerful state, all-powerful king. Um, and, and I always tell people to to read to read those. Yeah, um, two great recommendations. You know, one of the thoughts came to mind. You know, we just had uh, we were celebrating Independence Day. Um, which I much prefer than to wish people happy for. I say happy Independence Day, you know. And um, one of the things I was reminded is, you know, one of the the Twitter, um, the popular 
tweet that was going around was just a reminder of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and what they sacrificed and promised. Uh, but I was also reminded that almost half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were lawyers, to your point, were people that were trained in the law, understood what was at stake, understood the claims against the crown, and understood the gravity of their um, arguments. And I have somebody driving behind me in a tractor, it sounds like, but <laughs> well, this is what they, makes this fun. They were also steeped in classical learning. Yeah, um, They understood the what I would call the continuum of Western history that began in Jerusalem of King David, uh, went to Athens of Pericles, then to the Rome of Cicero, and then to London of people like uh, Burke and, and, the, and Magna Carta and, and Simon de Montfort and his creation of the parliament that we know now. Um, they also knew what didn't work, and they also knew how quickly people without that sense of, of history and without that sense of individual responsibility, what could happen to them, um, and how even the best laid system can devolve into tyranny. Um, remember, we go back to Wilson. Wilson was, and, and Teddy Roosevelt, I think, started it, but he... He didn't have the megalomaniacal. He's been accused of that a lot of times, yes. hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> and he started it. <laughs> purposes of, of Mr. Wilson, whom he despised. Um, but these people believed in social Darwinism, the, uh, uh, the elevation of uh, an elect, the strongest, the fittest, which is why with the, the sedition and the espionage acts, Wilson's people were trying to throw out of the country as many immigrants as they could because they felt they were inferior. And of course, as I said, Wilson resegregated the entire federal government. But they also believed in this noxious notion of the living constitution, which in, in Wilson's mind meant anything Woodrow Wilson thought the constitution should be. And, and that has creeped into our jurisprudence now for, well, Wilson left office in March of 1923. Um, so it has been there, actually March of 21, I'm sorry, March of 1921. So for 100 years or so, uh, this thing has been growing like a cancer uh, in the body politic and, and has, um, caused uh, incredible disruptions in, in the American polity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're having a little bit of a connectivity issue, Robert, unfortunately, but um... I just want to conclude um, our conversation with, you know, the the obviously those that don't understand history or know history are doomed to repeat it. Is that where we are right yes. now? Oh, I think so. Um, but with a much more powerful 
federal government than Wilson could have ever dreamed of. And this time with the complicity of academia, the complicity of mainstream journalism, um, and, and that's what makes this fight so difficult. And the one thing that radicals never stop, they never stop chipping away at the edifice of a liberal, that little L society. Uh, everything is a war. Um, they don't take a victory legislatively and say, look how wonderful we are. They want to go and 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 get the next victory. And I don't think the Republican Party has ever been equipped, at least in the in the modern sense. Um, we can go back to Nixon Ford, even Reagan in some respects, certainly the Bushes, um, to to fight this. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of them don't understand what has happened, what has happened. And you see with the use of the Espionage Act on the left's principal political enemy, that just like Eugene Debs and those who stood up against the assault on basic freedoms by the Wilson people, um, you see that now being turned on uh, President Donald Trump in, in ways that... Yeah. Most yeah. Americans can't even comprehend. I mean, the Espionage Act on a president who had uh, it was entitled to discuss any matter that he wanted to discuss with whom he wanted to discuss it. He was the great um, authority when it came to classification of any item in federal purview, um, responsibility, um, for documents, they were his for the most part, I think. And um, looking at any opportunity, and if people don't think this is coordinated, I'm not a conspiracy person, but you've got Soros-backed attempts at the local level. And then with this attempt, with this special counsel, who, by the way, the Supreme Court simply loves shooting down, um, I think if you look at his record before the high court, both liberals and uh, conservatives have called him to task for sloppiness, aggressiveness. Um, and um, uh, this is who they they set on Donald Trump. Yeah, but it's also uh, with the full you know backing and power, to your point, of the Department of Justice, and the federal government. I mean, yeah. that's what's that's what's so uh, powerful and intimidating is you can have yeah. a terrible theory, but if you push, you know, with it, uh, it it's, it's expensive, it's painful. And as you, I've heard you say many times, you know, the the process is the punishment, ultimately. That's right. Absolutely. And this is this is not a poor person they're going at. Mm -hmm. but even they have more resources than someone with the prominence of a Donald Trump can bring to bear in his Certainly. defense. Yeah. And if it happens to someone like that, then it's open season on Moms for Liberty, uh, mm -hmm. any American who stands up. I mean, the notion, Matt, that a an attorney general would declare parents speaking 
in front of local school boards to be domestic terrorists. And the FBI director and the Department of Defense leadership say that the average citizen is the greatest threat to national security. I never thought we would, in my lifetime, we would come to a point like that. Yeah. Well, I still believe that the American people are um, unfortunately not engaged, but they are good and decent. Absolutely. And um, ultimately, they love their country and they want to see it succeed. And so, you know, people like you and I and others and many people watching this are going to have to continue, even though we'd rather do other things, they're going to have to continue to speak out, to call it for what it is, uh, to make remind people to your point of the history of all of this and understanding what's at stake. Because, yeah. you know, that's I think that's that's the only really right now, the only thing we can do. Um, I agree. Until we win a few more elections. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and your point that the United States of America has been the greatest political force for good in the history of the world. And I'll close with something I heard General Powell say many, many years ago uh, when I was a youngster and he was um, an up and coming officer. He, he was giving a lecture that my father quoted back to me. And, and Powell said, and this is back in the eighties, I think, that a platoon of United States Marines has done more for world peace than all the UN organizations, all the celebrity telethons, and, and, and the self-serving beautiful people combined will ever do for the planet and its peace. And I think he's right. And that's this, our system is certainly what allows us to do that. Yeah. Well, Secretary, thank you for being on my show. Thank you for your continued and distinguished service on behalf of your country. A grateful people appreciates your service. Uh, I expect more from you in the future, but we'll let uh, God be in charge of those decisions. Uh, thanks for joining us on Liberty and Justice. Well, I thank you, Matt, and I thank, thank you for letting me be in the presence of a, of a great warrior. <laughs>